0: get uh, started today. Father, thank you for this day and bringing us safely to your house to study your word, give us understanding, and thank you for this time we have to be together and to sharpen one another and to learn. In Christ's name, amen. Um, Just so you know, I usually don't take weeks off, so I'm not going to be taking a week off. I'm going to go right on through Christmas, New Year's. If you're here, great. If not, and you're suffering from a hangover uh, Sunday after next, don't tell us. You know, just uh, but we'll be here. um, What third January third? Yeah, you should be over your hangover by then, right? January third. Yeah, next Sunday. Yeah, I I never understood why everybody you know holiday everybody takes everything off and it's like come on you know I mean you're here at church let's just keep on going. Besides, I get done with this so Sammy can restart her class or she'll hit me. She said. Um, So anyway, no, she didn't say that. Um, anyways we 're just going to go right on through so, and we 're going to go until we 're done with this topic so um, hopefully pretty soon and then we 're going to do the doctrine of the church that 'll be fun, yeah, and then the doctrine of in things prophecy mm-hmm. yeah, and then we 're done with our pro- our, our doctrines, and then we 've got to figure out if we start over again or what we do so anyways let 's look at regeneration. we started this last week and Regeneration, the definition of regeneration, it's the process whereby God, through a second birth, imparts to the believer, believing center a new nature. It's to be born again. Think of a born again. Regeneration, born again. Um, what was the thing that Nicodemus asked Christ? How can I be born again? You know, And Christ gave him the whole born again passage there on what it means to be born again. And the idea... Here, John 1.12 talks about this. As many as received him, them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were what? Born. born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right, now I don't want to get into a big argument, but as a Calvinist, that makes a lot of sense to me. How are we born again? God does something. Now again, there's a mystery there, right? There's a little black box that... A sinner comes in and a believing, saved person comes out. And there's a lot of things that go on inside that box that we may not know exactly how all that stuff works. But it does mean this, that if a person is truly saved, they are born again. There's a difference. And what does it mean to be born again? You have new life. What is that life? That life is a connection to God, right? What did Adam lose in the garden? His relationship with God. What have we regained in salvation? A relationship with God. And that's what it's all about. It's all about a relationship. But to get that, you need to be born again. That is a work of the Holy Spirit to bring new life into a dead person. And the Bible talks about spiritual life and death, doesn't it? All over the place. Ephesians 2, you who were dead in trespasses and sin. What has he done? He has quickened, made alive, given new life to. And that is necessary. A person who is saved is regenerated. They're born again. John 3, 3, Jesus said to him, if, except I, say, I verily I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. You have the physical birth, and then you have the spiritual birth. A birth whereby you are made alive. The relationship between you and God is restored. And God gives us his spirit in order to give us spiritual sight. That we can see, we can understand. That's part of regeneration is now you have the capacity to understand spiritual truth. Before, spiritual truth was just like this quagmire. It didn't make any sense. And then when we come to know the Lord, all of a sudden the light bulbs go on. And we start understanding and. There's a process to that understanding, but the, under, the key to understand is that we can now understand. Whereas before we couldn't, now we can. Now there is understanding that comes along. And that's what it means to be regenerated. Why do we need to be regenerated? Well, we are dead in our sin. Jeremiah 13:23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may also do good, they're accustomed to do evil. What's the problem with unregenerate? We call that unregenerate man, regenerate man, unregenerate. What's the problem with unregenerate man? They are bound in sin. They are bound in their own iniquity. They can't see spiritual truth. They can't understand spiritual truth. And here's the other thing. They have no desire to please God. That's Romans 8. Those that are in the flesh not only cannot please God, but show me a pagan that deep down truly wants to please God. You don't find one. What do they want to please? themselves that's what sin is sin is a focus on oneself this sinner doesn't want to please god now he may want to please god in the sense that if he does this god will do this right sort of like your dog right wagtail be good get treat all right um but do you think your dog you know is trying to figure out how to make you happy no he's conditioned to make you happy by what you treat him with right and um we need to understand that it says, and we already quoted this, Ephesians 2.1, by nature, we're all dead. We're born in death. That's, that's Romans 8. We are born dead in our sins. What it means to be dead in our sins, we have no spiritual life in us. None. We can think, we can reason, we have a brain, but we have no spiritual inclinations towards God.
1: So does that kind of mean that we don't
0: have a soul before we're... No. No. There, there are some that try to say you don't have a soul or you don't have a spirit.
1: i yeah. I mean, there's got to
0: be something in there, so... What it means to be dead is dead. to be completely insensitive to. We're completely insensitive so like to... emotionally dead, like... A... No, not emotionally dead. We got emotions right. No, no, no. I mean, like, doesn't
1: dead? bother It's spiritually you. dead.
0: Or We're spiritually dead. We, the, the average sinner can walk by and hear somebody singing a hymn and it makes no difference to them. It's just music.
1: So it's kind of like bringing the soul to life when they come
0: to God. I trying not
1: understand how there can be a soul beforehand, but it's not...
0: What is your soul? Well, you have got to go back to our discussion of soul and spirit and all that.
2: And God breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living soul. soul is simply who we are.
0: Yeah, it's you. It's your personality. It's, right. it's, it's the real you. That's your soul. But you... But you are not sensitive to the things of God. Your relationship to God is shattered, broken. And the Bible calls that spiritual death, separation. You're separated from God. You have no relationship with God. I mean, some people have used that, um, you know, if if you, uh, you know, in the Jewish families, if you convert to Christianity, they have your funeral. And to, to them, you're dead. You're walking around. You can say hi to them. They can see you on the street. But as far as they're concerned, you don't exist. You're dead. Are you really dead? No, there's no relationship. And that's the metaphor being used here. Spiritual death talks about when it comes to my relationship with God, I have absolutely no inclination towards him. It may be towards what he gives or something like that, but to truly know God as a person for what he is, his nature, his character, his personality, no desire. And when God brings spiritual life, what happens? The lights go on. I understand now. I, for once, it didn't make any difference whether I said, now all of a sudden it does make a difference. Okay. I yeah. And that's what regeneration is. And because of that, we are by nature. What does it mean by nature? By our birth, we are children of wrath. Among who what? Among the dead ones... We all had our conversation, we conversation is our walk of life, our manner of living, what we did. Times passed in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What does it mean? If you are outside of Christ, if you are unregenerate, who do you please? That's it. You please yourself. Now, you might please others as a means to please yourself, mm-hmm. but ultimately it is number one. Watch out for number one. That's, that's the moniker. And I may, I may make my boss happy, because in making my boss happy, I get more money, but it's always a selfish thing. All I am concerned about is for me. And I'm... My whole life is centered on the lusts of my flesh. What is that? My desires. What I want. What I want to eat. What I want to drink. What I want to drive. Where I want to go. All that. It's all about me. And I fulfill the desires of the flesh and the mind... What is the pursuit of people in the world today? To do that, right? Yeah. Basically, why do people go to work? Get money. To do what? To buy the things, buy the things they, want. they want. I mean, do you work just because that's a nice thing to do? Yeah, she does. Well, we, we can get some help for you. Um, <laughs> but, but most people don't do that, right? I, I, don't, I don't go to work necessarily just... I hate to say it, just because I enjoy doing that every day. There's, there's a financial incentive. Now, when I'm regenerated, that financial incentive is to honor my Lord, to honor God, and that's what he's called me to do, and I want to do that. And no longer is it all about me. It's about Christ. It's about him. It's about what he wants. But the unregenerate man, it's all about them. And because of that, they are dead. They are totally insensitive to the things of God. They are spiritually <coughs> blind. It says in Ephesians 4, they're blind, and in Second Corinthians it says the God of the Lord has blinded the minds of them. That's why when you look at the TV talk shows and they try to talk about spiritual things, they, they give incessant drivel, because they don't see. They don't have the ability to see. And instead of saying they're idiots, just be thankful that you can see. By nature, all of us are sons of disobedience. What does that mean? By nature, what do we do as sinners? Disobey. That's our nature. That, that is what we are. Notice how there's so many verses in Ephesians 2 here. We walked according to the course of this world. What's the course of this world? The course of this world is complete insensitivity to God. Why is it that all of a sudden now we have movements that say, <coughs> anybody who believes in God is dangerous? The New Atheism comes along. There's a couple of guys behind the New Atheism that says, if you have people who believe in God, they're actually detriments to society. They're dangerous. We need to cure them of their belief in God. And it says, uh, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, who is that? Satan. Satan. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Who's behind all the sin in the world ultimately? Now, he has a lot of cooperators, doesn't he? And all Satan has to do is go around once in a while and just keep the wheel spinning a little bit. He doesn't make everybody sin. We already talked about that. Satan doesn't make anybody sin. We do that very fine on our own. But ultimately, who is behind all the rebellion in the universe? Satan is. That doesn't let us off the hook. But what is the unregenerate man to do? He does everything that doesn't honor God. He cannot please God. Or Romans says those that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't. So the question can a Mormon who denies the deity of Christ and who's a very moral, upright, upstanding person, can they please God? No. no. can't. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. By nature, all men are cursed with Adam's sin. You say that's not fair. That's the way it is. We already talked about this earlier in our doctrine of sin. As by one man sin in the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The curse came down through Adam. The first man is of the earth, earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven. What is our problem with Adam? When we were born, we are identified with Adam. We are identified in his rebellion. We are against God. We hate God. And Please understand this. The pagan, and what I mean by pagan, the unregenerate person hates God. Deep down inside, they hate God. You say, well, they don't, they don't look like they hate God. Well, if you're not for God, what are you? Against them. We, 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 by nature, are rebellious. Man is a rebellious being.
2: And they don't even know that they hate him. Some of them
0: don't. No. It's just they might even deny that he exists. Right. The atheist, you know, well, God doesn't exist. Well, then why are they here? You know, they're pro- what did somebody say? They're protoplasm on the way to manure. What, what reason is there for living? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, you want to know the logical conclusion of that? Look at Nazi Germany. That's, that's the logical societal conclusion of a Darwinian approach. Survival of the fittest. And we need to eradicate all those that are unworthy. So we'll make concentration camps starve them to death. And we look at that as a great evil, but you know, in that society, it was a great virtue to get rid of the weak. Mm-hmm. You want to go there? You want to head down Darwin's path? That's where you get on the line wind up. Mm-hmm. There's no value. We are, by nature, we are cursed with Adam's sin. So how do we, how's this dealt with? You know, if, if we just left there, we're sort of sunk, right? How did God deal with this? Well, We have to be made alive. We have to be born again. So what are the factors of regeneration? Well, number one, the word of God. What do we mean by that? How is it that you came to know the Lord? Somebody told you what this book said, right? This is giving you the answer. It's the word of God. Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say to you, Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. The word for water, the best Bible commentators go back to a passage in Ezekiel where it talks about the word of God being water that washes. It's not talking about physical birth. It's not talking about baptism at all. This is a man, Nicodemus was what? What was he by trade? He was a religious expert. All right. And in those days, the religious experts talked about the word of God being that of water, of washing, of cleansing. That's what Christ is talking to here. How is it that we find out our condition? How is it that we find out the predicament we're in? How is it that we find out how we, how we need to respond, how we need to repent? Where does that come from? It comes from the word of God. It comes from this book. And that's why the Hebrews writer says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper. It compares to the dividing of the soul and spirit. I remember talking to or listening to um, John MacArthur talk about a man who came in. He was a Jewish abortion doctor, ran a big abortion clinic in, in uh, Los Angeles. And um, he wanted to know about, about how to get right with God. And it's interesting. John says, well, I told him, I said, well, I can't help you. He said, but uh, I want you to take this and read it. And he gave him a Gospel of John, a small Gospel of John. So why don't you take this and read it, and come back next week and tell me what you read. So a guy comes back in next week, and he sits down, and Dr. MacArthur says, well, what do you think? He said, well, I know one thing. Jesus is not a man. Now, this is is an abortion doctor, you know, um, Jewish. And all he did was read the Gospel of John a few times, and what did he find out? Jesus is not a man. What did the Word of God do to that man? It convicted him. The Word did. Because it's the whole, now we understand it's the Holy Spirit behind the Word, right? But the Word of God changed him. And he actually became a Christian gave up his abortion practice. And how did he do that? He did it by being exposed to the Word of God. Alright? God's Word can change life. God's Word is a transforming thing. That's what makes this book different than any other book. There's power in it. Now, we're not talking about mystical, woo-woo, voodoo type stuff. But it is God's Word to us, and it contains truth that the Holy Spirit can bring to bear in our lives and turn the light on. And we can understand. The Word of God is necessary. Yes?
2: This is a little off the subject I guess, has to do the Bible. Um, I was reading,
0: You're the first person that's ever told me he was reading in Zephaniah.
2: I'm
0: not I'm not making you are. Go on, I'm sorry.
2: Well, you no, know, the question is uh why does I mean I'm sure there's other places in the Bible, but this one in particular, it struck me that why
0: why does he punish the animals along with the people? He punishing who? animals along with the
2: people it's
0: talking about the devastation that sin brings I mean you know even in Romans 8 it says the whole creation groans and travails in pain because of the sin of this planet and where did that sin come from us it's a fallen creation and God created it, right? Yeah. So he has a right to do with it as he pleases.
2: The
0: fell <clears throat> Even on the animals. Why was it fair that that poor old sheep get its throat cut and blood poured out and burned as a sacrifice? Well, at this point, sin saturates everything. Yeah, that's the point. Sin saturates everything. and start over, you got to get rid of everything bad. Right. And God has a right to do that. I don't have a good answer for that, but God, God created all things, and he has a right to do with all things as he sees fit. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, at the end of the millennium, what's God going to do to this whole planet anyways? It. Poof. It's remade. These are all temporary things. And part of that, too, I think, and I think you had an interesting point there, part of that is that it is to provide sort of a shock value to us when when you know, when as a child in the Jewish home you saw the, your dad slaughter the Passover lamb and pour the blood into a bowl and sprinkle it that was a shocking thing for you and it was supposed to be because it showed the vileness of your sin there's a reason for that to show how wicked our sin is and how our sin has permeated everything, see that's the problem today we think, well if I sin it's just me no it's not just you your, your wickedness permeates everything around you. It poisons everything you touch. And we don't see it as that. And that's why you got a lot of these people say, well, you know, if we just, you know, if I go and I commit immorality, it's just bothering me, you know, and as long as the other person agrees, what's the big deal? Well, it, it affects more than just you. It affects all of society. It'll spread out from there. It's like ripples in a pond. And you don't see it. But that's how bad sin is. And the only answer to that is regeneration, to be made alive, to be brought back to spiritual life. The The relationship and the spiritual life we lost in the garden is restored in salvation. And ultimately restored in glorification when we stand in heaven. And that's what it says here, um, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy, save us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, washing the idea of the word of God. And then Look to Ephesians five twenty six that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Who's he talking about there? The church. How does Christ purify the church by the washing of the water of the word? Why is it necessary that a church preach the word of God? That's the only thing that's going to clean you. If you want to think about it, what is your spiritual soap? It's the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereunto according to thy word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 9 through 11, I think it is. How do you cleanse your ways? How do, you, how, do you, how do you stand right before God? The word of God. It washes you. And that's the means whereby God brings regeneration, brings new life. It's through the word of God that we see Romans ten says, "How shall they hear without a preacher, and how someone want to preach unless they're sent, and how shall they believe unless they hear the word of God? How do you how do you bring salvation to somebody? You bring it through the word of God. This is what brings life. This is our life giving book, which makes it different than any other book." Another factor is not only the word of God, but there's a man of God. What does that mean? Somebody who tells us. And whether you're a Calvinist, Arminian, or anything on the map, how is it that people come to know the Lord? Somebody tells them about it, right? That's part of the process. That's part of the way God has operated things. Romans 10. Remember, I just quoted this. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call on him who they've not believed... How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, a proclaimer, somebody to tell them? And how shall they preach, except they be sent as written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of priests and bring glad tidings of good joy. What's Paul talking about there? What is our job? Our job is to preach. What does it mean? To proclaim, to tell people the good news. To bring the word of God to them so that they can see and understand and believe. Now, that's the spirit working behind the scenes to bring that about. But what does the spirit use? The word of God in us. That's very important. See, one of the problems with some of the, 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 the hyper-Calvinistic viewpoints is like, well, if somebody's going to be saved, they're in whether I do anything or not. That's a silly statement. Because what is this saying here? Whether elect or not is not the issue. The issue is are you taking the message to them because that's the means whereby God has ordained that they hear. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what it's saying. That's part of the process. Yeah.
2: Just uh, to back up for a second, so the <coughs> abortion doctor who you know, read mm-hmm. the gospel and got saved, uh, it, it, it makes sense because I... There's a Bible study that goes on at my house on Friday nights, and one of the recent ones where we talked about, I talked about the four Gospels and how each of them has a certain focus, a certain theme. Mm -hmm. And so Matthew, Jesus is a Jew, he's king of the Jews. Mark, he's the suffering servant, and Luke, he's the son of God. John, he is God in the flesh. And so the fact that he saw that, the Mm -hmm. doctor saw that, Jesus is not a man. Well, yeah, he was, but at least that's the important thing is he saw Jesus as God.
0: And who enabled him to see Jesus as God? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit did. That's the third component coming up. But you have the man of God. You have somebody who brings the message, who takes the message. And then the third thing you have is the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God, the man of God, and the Spirit of God. Jesus said, verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So how is it that that pagan Jewish abortion doctor saw Jesus for who he is? The Holy Spirit opened his eyes to see that. That's how it happens. And you need all three components. You need the Word of God, preached by the man of God, and illuminated by the Spirit of God to bring light. And we we need to realize that all three of them are there. And one of the things that we have to be careful of is not to get stuck on step two. There are people who say, well, I'm going to go off to seminary and I'm going to learn how to talk somebody into heaven. ain't going to work because you're missing one of the ingredients. It's like gunpowder. You can mix sulfur and charcoal together, nothing happens. Sulfur and potassium nitrate, nothing happens. Put all three of them together, boom. It's got to be all three. And God uses all three. But the Spirit is necessary. And what does this do? This brings life. This brings spiritual life. We all in here, if we're born again, we have spiritual life. We are sensitive now to the things of God. We can understand the things of God. doesn't mean we're all theologians, but at least we can read the Bible and make sense of it. It's not a hidden book to us. And why is that? Because the Spirit of God brings life. Now, there are some results of being regenerate. If a person is born again, that means there's going to be some certain things that are evident there. One of the things in 1 John 3.14, it says a, a person who's regenerate, who's born again, twice born, now loves other Christians. By the way, let's, let's understand something right here. The Bible does not understand the concept of a fruitless Christian. It's not there. There's a movement today in some circles that say, look, you can be a Christian and be an atheist. What kind of nonsense is that? That's absolute silliness. Or you can be a Christian and have no change in your life. I don't think so. That's not the kind of Christianity the New Testament's talking about. The Bible says if you're in Christ, you're different. You're a new creation. You're born again. You're not the same that you were. You're not perfect. We're all on a struggle upwards. But at least we're heading upwards. And you show me someone who says they're born again, but there is absolutely no change in their life whatsoever. No desire for spiritual truth. No desire for spiritual growth. No desire for spiritual things. They're not a Christian. And you're doing them a disservice by making them think they are. Right.
1: As so I say, if you see something in the water that looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, a duck, it's probably a
0: duck. Yeah. You know, so you look at someone's fruit, and mm-hmm. so you, being discerning
1: and choosing friends and who you're hanging out with and how you behave, you got to look at your own behavior, you look at the behavior of others. If you see someone that talks filthy, dresses bad, acts bad, treats other people bad, lies, feels, well, and they say they're a Christian, that doesn't quite match up.
0: No. And again, we're not being God's secret police, right? Trying to figure out who's in and who isn't. That's not the point. But the point that the Bible makes very clear is by their fruits you will know them. There's something to be said for that. And although, yes, I might not be able to look at that person in the eye and say, you aren't or you are, I can certainly say, you claim to be a Christian, but you're not acting like it. You need to go back and examine whether you even got on the narrow way. Because you may not be on the narrow way. There's a lot of people that think they're in the kingdom of God that aren't. And I don't want to talk them into being or into thinking they're on the path when they're not. We're going to talk about that in the assurance of salvation part coming up very quickly here. But the whole point is regeneration produces a difference in your life. There's a change, there's a new direction, there's a new understanding, there's a new newness about you. And when there's no newness, you now go back and ask yourself, wow, did I ever get on the path? Am I still dead in my trespasses and sins? Because you show me a person who hates other Christians. I'll show you a person who may not be born again. Why? Because we love that which God loves. Now, John, in 1 John, that's a great passage, you know, we know we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. What does it mean to pass from death to life? To be regenerate. Because why? You love the brethren. If you don't love the brethren, you're not probably regenerate. That's what John says. Yeah, and, and I think part of that, I mean, a real good metaphor of this is the vine in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Okay, If if as a vine, you abide in Christ, what are you going to do? What are you going to produce? Fruit. Now, where does the fruit come from? You. It comes from what? Abiding in the vine. Where does the life come from? The vine. Not from you. So, as Robin says, when you focus on your relationship with God, you focus on Him, you focus on that fullness of understanding who He is and what, what God is, what's going to happen to your life? It will produce fruit, but you're not producing it. God is. You don't produce the fruit. God produces the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Robin. Right. The fruit of the Spirit God. is.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a mess
0: just like everyone else and I like
2: lose my temper and say things I shouldn't say sometimes, you know, I mean I'm human, I'm, I'm a sinner, yeah. but you know, I'm I'm on this narrow path and sometimes
0: people just view it differently, but like yep. we talked about, last week, I just have to blow up, you know, I mean, well, in like a Christ-like way, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the whole <laughs> point, you know, and you're going to have that. People are going to say, well, you need to tell them, you're not me. you think you know everything. Well, all right, fine. Right. But that's not what I'm focused on I'm focused on pleasing the Lord and if by pleasing the Lord they don't like it too bad I'm not going to lose sleep on that
2: yeah, yeah and the think that brings me back to the old covenant versus the new covenant where in the new covenant it no
0: longer becomes I can't it becomes I won't mm-hmm. so if you are truly submissive and obedient to
1: God's word the fruit will just naturally start to flow out
0: right yeah. You bite in the vine, and God will produce the fruit. But, you know, one one of the things here we see is that if you're truly born again, you're going to love other Christians. That doesn't mean you like all of them, right? There are Christians that irritate the living daylights out of me. But I have a love for them. I, you know, I like coming to church. I like being here. I really do. I like being around other believers. I like talking about the things of the Lord. Why is that? What what what? what is that? It, it's, the, it's Christ, it's the spirit within me that draws us all together. You know, I remember going to social functions back in the many, day, many moons ago when Donna worked at the hospital. We go to their Christmas party with alcohol and all kinds of stuff. And I just felt like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I, I don't fit. I'd much rather be somewhere else with Christians than be here. And that should be a part of that. That's, why is that? That's not because you're holier than now. That's because you're born again. You have new desires. You want to be around other Christians. And you love Jesus. What does it mean to love Jesus? You love what he loves and hates what he hates. You know, I was going back to the movie thing. I went to Best Buy yesterday. and walking through the movie section. It's like, why would I ever watch half? You know, not half, but probably 99% of this stuff. They make fun of things that they shouldn't make fun of. They make light of spiritual issues. They mock Jesus. Why, am I, why do I want to watch this? Why would I ever watch this? Life of Brian, whatever that is. what Monty Python, poking fun of the resurrection. Why would you ever watch that? Good. You don't need to. I don't
1: want to know. <laughs>
0: But I had some Christian friend of mine a long time ago talk about how he. it was a funny movie. And, it, and I think like, I'm not gonna, that's not something I make fun of. I don't go there. Don't make fun of that. That's not to be a subject of comedy.
1: That's how it with The selection of movies is so narrow. It
0: is. Star Trek's okay, but you know. if you love someone are you going to involve yourself in entertainment that puts them down and pokes fun of them no you're not if you want to get me mad it's hard to get me mad it really is you gotta work at it take some time energy I'm a pretty easy going guy but you start picking on donna i'll get mad i'll get really mad i'll be on christ like mad All right? <laughs> Because you're, you're making fun of somebody that I care about. Yes. And I'm not going to put up with that. Nope. And that's what... Why, why do you think Jesus ran all the guys out of the temple? He had a bad hair day?
2: No. Because no,
0: because they were mocking who? His father. his father. And he wasn't going to put up with that. You poke fun of me, that's fine. But don't mess with my father. And
2: his father's house.
0: Yeah. And if you're regenerate, you love Christ. And you're not going to want people to mock him. You're not going to run with those who mock Christ and put down spiritual things and, and bring reproach on the name of Christ. You're not going to do that. You're not going to want to do that. And if you're comfortable in that kind of situation, you need to really ask yourself, am I a Christian? Am I really born again? You love your enemies. There's a good one. What's one of the messages of The Sermon on the Mount, if you're a believer, if you're a kingdom citizen, love your enemies. Now what does it mean to love your enemies? you have good feelings towards them all the time? You pray for them. You you see their need. You you recognize that the reason they're doing this is why. They're They're unregenerate. What are they supposed to do?
2: they're
0: They're doing what they do. And you're not out to get revenge. You're not out to get a pound of flesh. You're not out for vengeance. You love your enemies. You bless them that curse you, do good to them, that hate you, and pray for them who despitefully use you. Pray for them. When Christ was hanging on a cross, what did he pray for? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Pray for your enemies.
1: No. You can respect them and give them the readings of the day, pray for them, open the door for them, not necessarily involve yourself in their lifestyle. Yeah. You don't have to love them. You don't need to love them like you love your wife or your father. Well, that's not what, uh, yeah. what that means. Mm-hmm. I think, I like to say, well, you're a Christian but you don't love so and so. No way I don't you know I pray for that person and I don't have to condone their lifestyle.
0: hmm Well look at when, when did Christ love us? When we were his friends? We're his enemies. Wow, okay, there, there you go. And he loved us so much that we, he died for us, right? So if you're regenerate, you're going to love your enemies. You're not going to be out for vengeance. You're not going to to try and get back at people. You're going to be praying for them. You love the word of God. Show me someone who does not love the Bible, and I'll show you someone who's not a Christian. I'm a Christian. Do you read your Bible? No, can't stand it. Don't tell me you're a Christian. That's like saying, uh, "I love, do you love your wife? Yeah. Do you ever read her love letters to you? Nope, never read them. Still in the envelopes. Do you love your wife? Right? I mean, if, if, if someone you love writes something to you, what do you do? You rip it open and read it. And if you don't rip it open and read it, what does that tell you about your love for that person? You don't care. It doesn't matter. Who cares? It's a person... Now, that doesn't mean you're in the Bible 24 by 7 and things like that. That's not what it's talking about. But it does talk about that there is a desire that you know what God's written and that you spend time in his word. Does it mean that every day you're spending 30 minutes a day or something? That's not, the frequency is not there, but the fact that it is a desire and a drive of your heart is. You you want to know the things of God. You want to know what he says. You love listening to sermons. There you go. There are people who say I like going to church for the music but bag the sermon. You know, I come for the sermon, bag the music. That's just me, but I just as soon Jim get up and start preaching and go for an hour and a half and be done. Keep the music, you know, you want a music go get a CD. You know, that's just me. I'm t- I'm being a low. A little extreme on that. Don't I like music. Don't don't say I don't like music, but but to me, I, I love the Word of God. I love listening to the Word of God. I love preaching the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. When I was driving along um, on my um, vacation this year to Maine, I listened to 30 hours of John MacArthur's preaching on Romans, not music. Romans, you say you're whacked? Fine. Okay. Some people have been listening, you know, praise music. That's fine. That's okay. But I love the Word of God. I have a desire for this. And I enjoy listening to it, enjoy the studying it, enjoy knowing what it is. And you show me a person who says they're a Christian, but they've not cracked their Bible in years and years and years. I would seriously question their regeneration. You love the separated life. What does it mean to love the separated life? You love God so much that you want to do those things to please him. And since you want to please him, by definition, you're not going to do a lot of other things that everybody else does. Right, John, First John two fifteen sixteen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not him. Now, how how hard is that to understand? If you love the world, what do you mean to love the world? What does the world value? What are the values of the world? What are the things of the world? If you love that, if that is your desire, passion, is that what you, If that's what you are after, then do you have the love of the Father? No, because what's going to happen to the world? Sure. It's going to pass away. It's not permanent. Confuse you, but
1: the, person now loves the,
0: separated the separated life, separated from sin, from okay. separated from the world. I
1: misinterpreted
0: that. I thought that yeah. was indicative of the world like. We no. We live separated from the world. We are to be different. The world should be able to look at us and say, you know, they're oddballs. You know all of us we're all pursuing pleasure and money and that and that weirdo over there that's not what they're after they're giving it all away they're they got their head somewhere else well that's that's good then we're not to love the world we're not to have the what does the world value fame money good looks pleasure that's all a pursuit we have no part of we shouldn't have a part of doesn't mean we can't enjoy life doesn't mean we're sour pusses or anything like that but it does mean that that's not pleasure and things and money and possessions and power and prestige that's not a driving force in our life it should not be What well, strikes me every time I walk through the mall? There's nothing here I really want. Yeah. I mean, I'll go to the mall to buy clothes because I need clothes. I don't want to come in here naked. I need clothes, alright? But I don't go there to spend, you know, I don't go there to spend a day trying to find out, you know, the Armani and all this other... I don't even know what the fashions are. I look at it and say, does it look good? Yeah, okay, fine, good price, I'm out of here. You know, I'm not, I'm not into the, the labels and Calvin Klein and all that other stuff. But that's what the world pursues. They pursue the label. They pursue, pursue the prestige. That's what they want. That's not what we're after. We're not to love that. Because if we love that, then the love of the Father is not in us. And that's what it says in Matthew 5. You cannot serve God and money. You get one or the other, you can't get both. You love God. And, you know, I thought about this the other day. You know, God has given me a nice home. And I take care of it. Why do I take care of it? Because I love my house? Because I bow down to it? Because it's an object of worship? No, because God gave it to me. And because I love him, I'm going to take care of what he has given me. Why do I take care of my car? Why do I take care of my truck and keep gas in it and fuel in it and keep it maintained and keep it washed and things like that? Because I love my truck, because I love my car, because I bow down to it and worship it? No, but because God's granted that to me and I want to take care of what he's given me. it's, It's your focus. Don't love the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What does it mean? You're not to be part of the world. You're not, this is not our home. Like, like Ruth said, this is a temporary place that we're going through on our way to heaven. If you want a good analogy of this, read this Pilgrim's Progress. And When Christian gets to Vanity Fair, what happens? They're weird. They're not fitting in. They're not having fun. What's wrong with them? Yeah, that's right. We're to fit into that. twice born person loves the souls of men. Do you see other people as lost? Do you care about other people? Do you care that they come to know the Lord? That's becoming more and more in me that, you know, I look around and see people, and instead of pitying them, or instead of, what do you want, castigating them or being angry with them, I, I pity them because they don't know the Lord. What are they, what are they supposed to do? If this is the only thing you have, if this is all your, all your existence, well, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. You might as well. But this isn't all there is. The regenerate person loves prayer. What does that mean? You love to talk to God. Do you like talking to God? That's all prayer is. And do you talk to God? Do you talk to God all day long? Do you talk to God when you get up, when you go to bed, when you go to work? I find myself talking to God when I see a beautiful sunset. Or seeing this creative wonders around me, and I can appreciate what he's made. I love to talk to him in prayer and spend time with him. The, pro- the point is this, folks if you're truly regenerate, there is a change in your life. You're not the same. Because now you have the spirit within you that gives you a connection to God, and has a very real connection. Let's look at another word here: propitiation. Hopefully, your translations have that. Um, propitiation. What does propitiation mean?s uh, It comes from a Greek word, halasmos, which means to render favorable, to satisfy, to appease. Think about it: appease, appease, to turn away wrath. So, in the scripture. Propitiation is the appeasement of God's wrath against sin by the offering of an appropriate sacrifice. I appease the wrath of God by providing a sacrifice. Now, that does not compute well with the average modern mind and what they would like to think of as God, right? To them, God is this benign, loving, gray-haired guy that just, like your grandpa, you know, wants to dote on you. The Bible pictures God as a God of wrath against sin. He hates sin. And what is God's wrath? It is an inherent, automatic response to sin. God despises sin. God hates sin. And it's a visceral kind of thing with God. It's not something he needs to work up. It's an innate hatred of that which is evil. And what are we? We're children of wrath. Why? Because we are born in sin. We are born separated from God. So how (coughs) can the wrath of God be satisfied against our sin? Something has to give. And people don't like this. They say, well, I don't like the idea that God is a God of wrath. I don't like the idea of this appeasement stuff. We remember we talked a few weeks back about the man who said... uh, yeah, you know, that's cosmic child abuse. Why would God cause his son to die for us? That sounds like cosmic child abuse to me. Brian McLaren, a heretic. Well to understand it, number one, God the Father did not force Christ to die for us. What did Christ do? He chose to. He
1: went willingly to the cross. He went
0: willingly and gladly to the cross.
1: Right. He carried out the Father's will.
0: Right. God the Father didn't make him do anything. And what did God, Christ do? Christ turned aside the wrath of God against our sin. Now why is it that God requires death? That's the way it is, folks. I don't have a good theological answer for that. Alright? When you start getting down that path, I don't have a good answer. Alright? Right. When you violate the relationship with God, it's broken. And the only way to break, unbreak it and to bring back a relationship is that his wrath, his innate hatred of wickedness and sin has to be appeased. And that can only be appeased through two ways. One, the perfect substitute who takes the place of you. Or you can spend eternity in hell. Pick your choice. You get one or the other. And an eternity in the lake of fire will not appease the wrath of God. It will never end. Propitiation is appeasement. It's the satisfaction. John, First John two two, John has a lot on this. He Christ is the propitiation for our sins. What did Christ do? Christ satisfied the wrath of God against my sin. He took my place. He paid the penalty that I should get. When the fire of God fell against was going to fall against me and burned me to a crisp, Christ stepped in and took the full force of that wrath and protected me from the wrath of God. He took it upon himself. And not only is he the propitiation for my sin, not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. In what sense? Well, not in the universal sense, right? Because if it's in the universal sense, everybody goes to heaven. That's not what it's talking about. But his death was of a sufficient value, of a sufficient payment to satisfy the wrath against how much sin? All of it. All of it. Not just part of it. All of it. It's an infinite sacrifice. But he took the wrath. And that's what he took on the cross. That was the horror of the cross. The horror of the cross was not the physical suffering. It was not being nailed on wood and hanging there. That was not... As horrible as that might seem to us, that was not what really freaked Christ out in the garden. What freaked him out in the garden is for the first time in his life he is going to bear the wrath of Almighty God against sin as though he had done it all. And he knew what the wrath was because what is he? God. He had an understanding and a comprehension of that that we'll never get. And he took it upon himself to become sin for us. And again, we said, that does not mean he innately became sin, but he took upon himself the sin as though he did it. Think about the perfect lamb of God taking upon him the guilt of every murder ever committed. Of every evil act ever committed. And taking the full brunt of that. And God didn't, Father, did not go easy on his son. He didn't tone down the wrath. Oh, it's my son, I'll I'll be a little bit. I won't be as harsh, son. No. Christ took the full force of that wrath and paid the penalty.
2: And even though he did it willingly, the willingness was the God of him, the the godness of him. But he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood and said, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. That was the man. That was the anxiety. That was the fear. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And both of those were in there. there. He suffered fully for our sin. This is real love. You want to know what real love is? Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. The word sacrifice is propitiation for our sin. You want to know if God's a God of love? Yeah, he is. Why? Because he sent his son, actually he sent himself in the person of his son to pay the penalty for sin. He took his, the wrath upon him. Full satisfaction. Full satisfaction. What is the method of propitiation? Through the, Through the blood of Christ. What does it mean by his blood? The physical fluid? The death. He died as a bloody sacrifice for me. And we talked about this a couple weeks back. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood. How is it that God's wrath against my sin has been satisfied? Christ paid it in full. All of it. God's wrath was expended on Christ, not on me. Which allows me to be forgiven. Which opens the path for God to be a just and the justifier of those who believe. But it's the blood of Christ that made this possible. Why is it that I need propitiation God's wrath? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains. You don't have to do anything to get the wrath of God other than exist. Because by nature, you're the children of wrath. In Romans 1.18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, hold it down. Men do not want to know the truth, and God's wrath is constantly being revealed against sin. And eternally, who paid the wrath debt for me, Christ did. Where was it paid? Well, in the Old Testament, you had a temporary place, the Holy of Holies. Mercy seat. The mercy seat. And the root word in Greek for the mercy seat is Helastra, which is from hilasterion, which is the satisfaction place. When well, God looked at Israel and, he, and his wrath was about to explode, where did he look? He looked at the mercy seat and there was the satisfaction for the penalty for that year. We talked about on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went in and sprinkled blood on the mercy seat to cover the sins of Israel for a year. It was a temporary thing. Never permanent, right? lasted one year and then you had to do it all over again. But what about the New Testament? It's Calvary. When God looks at me and... He, 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 his wrath against me is satisfied because he sees me through the cross of Christ, where the debt was paid in full.
1: So why would God have waited so long to
0: destroy the temple? That's a whole different topic, but yeah, it's winding. Basically, basically the message of Hebrews is: after Christ's death, the temple means nothing. The blood of bulls and goats don't do anything anymore. Yeah. Right. The time
1: frame yeah. The of the death
0: the right. But but Christ in the New Testament it's it's there. Where are the results? God is justified in forgiving sin? Why? Because the wrath is paid. He's justified in bestowing righteousness. Why? Because the debt is covered in full. And that allows me to stand in his presence without sin I'm going to close with this story and uh, I I heard it on a tape a long time ago it was a great and I don't know whether it's a true story or not but it really brings this whole concept of propitiation and wrath and satisfaction together and puts it in a neat package but uh, the story goes of this there was a tribe in ancient Russia that was ruled over by a very strong leader who um, brought great prosperity to the tribe People lived well, uh, they hunted well, they had a good life. Everybody loved this leader. He was a great man. He was known for his justice, and he was known for his strong leadership. But one day they found that somebody was stealing in the camp. They were finding that things would be missing. And of course this was a great tragedy because nobody stole in the camp. They just didn't do that. And so at first what happened is the chief said, if we catch this person, we're going to give them ten lashes. And then the stealing kept going on and finally it went up to 20 lashes and 30 lashes and then 40 lashes, which many people would not survive. They finally found who was stealing in the camp. It was the chief's elderly mother. They caught her stealing. And this was going to be a great problem because here's the chief who is known for his justice known for his fairness. He has already declared that whoever is caught is going to be guilty of 40 lashes, but his mother, who is old and frail, will never survive. So what do you do? Of course, there's a lot of scuttlebutt going on in the tribe. What is he going to do? Is he going to set aside his justice and free his mom? Does he condemn his mother to death? and satisfy his justice, what's he going to do? So the day came when this sentence had to be carried out, and of course he comes out in his robes as the chief, and his mother is brought out, and um, judgment is pronounced. It's 40 lashes. And she's tied to the post, and her back is ripped open so that the person can deliver the lashes, and the tribe is aghast because he's obviously going to have his mother die. But before the lash falls, he says, wait a minute. And he gets up. And he takes off his robes. And he walks over and he puts his arms around his mom. And he bears his back and orders the sentence to be carried out. Forty lashes. And that's what Christ has done to us. I'm condemned, I'm, I stand before God, I am toast. And before the judgment of God falls, before I am burned to a crisp, before I'm sent to an eternity in a lake of fire, a voice from the throne says, wait a minute. And Christ gets up and he walks around and he puts his arms around me and he bears his back to the executioner and orders the sentence to be carried out. Christ took my place. How can you not love him? How can you not love him? Father, thank you for sending your son to take our place. Thank you for paying the penalty due us. Thank you for providing a satisfaction for your wrath. Help us to remember that, Father. To appreciate that, to ponder that wonderful truth and To live in accordance with that, Father. Not to take advantage of your love. But to know what it costs you to forgive us. And to worship you in wonder and love and praise for that. In Christ's name, amen.